Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. Hi there, I'm Erica from Backpad. Backpad is effortless site curated for men, a subscription service that uh, makes men dress well throughout the year with no effort. Hi, I'm Mia McLeod and I'm the CEO and founder of Digital Collective Co and Business Boss Collective. This is our very first episode of A Moment with Modern Mentors Season 2. We've called it A Call for Change and we're really excited today to have Erica Nielsen Humphrey join the podcast. Erica runs a fashion business called Dapad.com. She's a fashion entrepreneur with a conscience. She's a female entrepreneur. She's a cancer survivor and a vegan, and she's running an online fashion subscription business out of London during COVID. She's focused on alternative fashion and sustainable solutions, and she's driving change within a largely still very traditional industry. Listen as I chat with Erica and unpack some of her insights into business, being an entrepreneur, being a female entrepreneur and disrupting the fashion industry. I can't wait to have a chat with you today, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I am Erica and I am the founder of Dachbad. And what Dachbad do is that we allow men to dress well effortlessly. As we say, it's effortless style curated for men. And it is a subscription service completely tailored and personalized with ideally three boxes per year per season so that the wardrobe is kept spick and span and the man as well looking his best throughout the year. Tell us a little bit about how you launched DAPA. It's been a few years now and it's really your baby. I launched it or the idea came really sort of was inspired by my husband and our sort of failed shopping trips. We was a well-to-do guy, but no time and absolutely zero interest in sort of like, you know, picking the right clothes. You know, like most men, they want to look good. He wanted to do it as well. But you could see when he was sort of handed something, a piece of nice clothing, he appreciated it, but it was just not on. And uh, we tried shopping trips and it mostly ended up having an argument and whatever, searching for the closest bar. (laughs) And then I thought, well, I was working in finance at that time and I was just looking around me and they were, they were all these well-to-do men, but sort of with often no interest, no time, just sort of a bit like lost in how to just look good effortlessly. So had you had a background in fashion before launching Dapad? Not at all. I mean, as I said, like, I mean, I have an economics degree and I worked in finance for eight years when I came to London. But fashion and I would say design in general has always been just a passion of mine. And when I look back, a similar thread is for friends to always being asked me to sort of help them shopping. And I think it's sort of like almost just a natural talent in a way that like, you know, I can just see what fits and then I plan my wardrobe. I always plan my own wardrobe throughout the years. So I thought it's sort of a natural extension. And, you know, I can just take my skill and help, help men or help people sort of. Help your husband first and foremost. (laughs) So is he dressing better these days? Oh, much better. (laughs) What was your ambition for the business and how has it transformed over the years? I knew sort of in my heart or like in my gut what I wanted it to be. But I think, again, you get maybe a bit lost as well. You look at what other competitors are doing and you try to sort of replicate that. 
So in the first, it was just sort of the solution of shopping, but there wasn't sort of, even though we always had the sort of beautiful Scandinavian clothes, the minimalist style, we sort of, were, we were put sort of in the same basket as these other guys. But then as I sort of evolved, I realized, well, it's more than just solving the process. It's also about the quality of clothes. It's also about the actual, like, I'm not sending random clothes. I'm sending it to you you know, as a perfect outfit for your type of life. And then as we then got to know customers and the people who then subscribe for three boxes a year, we said, well, this is perfect. Now we know what you have. And then we just build the wardrobe from everything that they bought so that like, you know, they basically all their sort of wardrobe needs are taken care of throughout the year. So it's that sort of like just this effortless style as it is. Like I can dress well effortless without trying too hard in beautiful sort of, well curated clothes i mean we sort of we don't really provide any and i don't want to provide any sort of high street brands it's a very sort of niche also price bracket which is affordable luxury price bracket which i see is like the sort of optimal point where you combine price and quality and i don't know because maybe i'm swedish and in skinny we always we you know we love design you know people tend to be quite well dressed but we also pay a lot of taxes so we don't have that much money to spend Mm. And it's no wonder that almost this affordable luxury sort of segment of the market is, you know, originates from Scandinavia, where, you know, again, you have this very good quality, but it's like, it's not like a Gucci price point or, or you know, 500 pounds for a shirt. Instead, it's like 150 pounds for a shirt. One of the things I really love about Dapat is your sustainable journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that element of the business? Yeah, so I am, in my personal life, I am a little bit of an activist and I'm a big environmentalist. And of course, as we know, fast fashion and fashion has is a big sort of offender and we need to change the way fashion works. And again, I would say there's two sort of parts to the sustainability, you know, sort of ethos for that. But so one is, of course, that this Scandinavian sort of timeless fashion, it doesn't expire. It's like clothes without an expiry date. So if I buy a beautiful white shirt and a navy chino or something, those will look as good in three years' time. You know, like they, they're not going to like, I'm not going to have to re- replenish all the time. And okay, this season is this, or this season is that. You know, we can't always have new every six months or every three months or whatever it is now. So that is one part. And of course, it's the quality. The quality is super good. Again, like the shirts, you can wash them over and over again. They, they work out. And then it is also because we have the skill set of both of that, but of how we combine the things. So the clothes sort of transcend from one event to another. Like, you you know, if you're smart, if you have a smart casual dress code, for example, at work, well, that will look as well when you go to the, you know, to the pub maybe afterwards and you just, maybe you lose the jacket or something. And then again, for, for an event in the, in the weekend, there are small changes. Maybe you just change the shirt with the chino and it sort of dresses it up. So you just have to buy a bit less, I think. So that's, but then also like now we have, of course, a core, core brands, but then also we're not really looking to just add brands that have a sustainability ethos per se, like that's the outspoken thing. So for example, we have one brand that just makes all the outerwear from recycled plastic from the ocean. We have one of the Nordic sort of eco brands to get is called Swanen or the Swan. It's very, very hard to get. And one of our brands made the first uh, Swan and label the uh, Chino and Jean. It's again, it fills all this criteria of how, how the, the product can be recycled, what is recyclable, it's organic products, you know, all these sorts of things. So that's what we're adding a lot. Of course, as well, animal agriculture, as we know, is one of the biggest culprits for climate change. And what we're trying to do as well is just sort of phase out 
the use of animals in the clothes that we use. So, for example, we've, we've never had feathers or fur or exotic leathers, but what we also now try to do is we face out animal leathers and we're looking for these amazing companies that use this new technology, which is called biofabrication, where they use plants. So apples is very, for example, common. You can make amazing leather from apple skin. You know, it's the future of leather, like it's going to sort of make the animal leather redundant. So those are the things that we work for and, you know, look for. And it may, I mean, it really changes the fashion business entirely, doesn't it? Because it, it makes fashion so much more deep. I mean, fashion, fast fashion is just, you know, it is the ultimate consumption kind of mistake really for our environment and planet. But the fact that you can actually change the way that fashion behaves across the board and not only people and how they behave, but how an industry behaves, it's, you know, something to be amazingly proud of. Well done. It is coming. And it's like, again, like I see, again, like in Sweden, you have, I think you have two quite large brands as well. And this is all the thing that they do. They just curate also, you create the basic pieces, you know, you curate and wardrobe without expiry date. And, and you know, like the, I was reading somewhere that fashion means change. But, you know, I think we need to change that in a way. Like, you know, fashion, we can't have change. Yeah, change is what everyone has been kind of, you know, moving on and having to kind of keep up with it. Whereas now it's almost like fashion is classic pieces yes. that can be, you know, sensible and worn well and, and in a number of ways. And I think you see on places like Netaporta, you know, them really talking about a piece and how many outfits it can be worn with. Now, you can really see the difference in the way that fashion is starting to sell their product and it's all about quality. And so what does this mean for a business like yours? You've started it from scratch. It's, a, it's an online business. You're servicing to the UK and also across Europe at the moment. Talk us through how you've launched this online business. How does that come about for someone that isn't in fashion and, you know, you've done, you've done an economics degree, fantastic, but, you know, you're not a, a tech person, are you? You make many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I made so many mistakes in the beginning and, you know, you sort of just sort of like, I would say, plodle through. You sort of like, you obviously like, you know, of course I, I wrote a business plan. I had, a, I had an idea and then I got redundancy from my, um, my bank and I just basically took the money and, you know, started this. I mean, I think we're on our fourth site now, which is now we're very happy with, but it's just been a big learning curve all through. And, you know, I think one of my main mistakes was just not finding a partner from the start, like that has sort of, you know, complementary skill sets to, to me, that would have been much easier. I think that's for anybody who starts a business, try and find a partner that sort of complements you. But yeah, anyway, I just, you know, the first step was up. I bought a bit of clothes. I contacted brands. Brands was actually quite, you know, forthcoming, you know, bought a bit of stock, just tried me and my, my husband's work colleagues were one of my few, first few customers. And it was just like, I was just making the box in my, what is now my daughter's bedroom. You know, like, it's like, but somehow, I don't know, maybe the universe conspires sometimes and you meet certain people at the right time and then they propel you forward and things happen. And I had my old boss from, from the bank also like invested in, in the business. So we had capital and yeah, from the start, we got very good reviews. Like, you know, we were just like sort of six months in and we were in GQ and we were in the Times and people were just like, because I think one of the skills that I do have is that I, I do know the clothes very well and I'm very good at putting the outfits together. I think that sort of like just lifted the business and people thought, wow, this is, looks so professional. This looks so 
was we were like two girls there in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, well, your style is is amazing, and you know, you just have to look on the website to see the photography and the styling and the clothes that you're producing and presenting look so incredible such high quality and just and a nuance a kind of sense of humor that you know you really bring across in the brand talk us a little bit through the brand itself dapad and how you came up with the brand and and what that sense of humor is for you like again i think fashion sometimes again takes itself too seriously when you see everybody sitting on the catwalks they look ooh, they look really fancy and they have the sunglasses on and like you go like ooh. <laughs> And I think that also puts men off a bit. Mm. I think it puts them off. It feels daunting and it feels a bit like I'm trying too hard. And I think that's, that's what we wanted to bring this sort of humor into to it so that men sort of, it sort of de-dramatizes it and they just realize that like, you know what, I, I can look good without trying too hard and I'm just going to enjoy it because actually looking good, most people do enjoy that. And this, is, this should be fun, you know, it's, only, it's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and how many, how many years into the business are you now? Whereabouts are you in the business cycle? Would you four, four years into the business. But again, it's like, it's, it's been, uh, it's been sort of a roller coaster, you know, coming here as well in my personal life. So uh, it's, it's been going for four years. I think, you know, because of the things that happened in my personal life, it was sort of like, it was going, but I wasn't like putting all my effort into it. Was it now, of course, with my new partners, you know, a new side. It's like now it's the time for us to grow and to expand. And I think it's 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 the right timing as well when you look at what's happening in the world. So yeah, I mean, you you kind of hit on a point that we wanted to just talk about today. And I and I you know I've checked with you prior to this interview, but you know, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your personal life to make such a you know impact on the business. And I guess it has in a way changed the way you've approached the business now, hasn't it? Yes, it has. So I started the business when I was then pregnant with, with, my, with my daughter. And obviously, that's uh, anybody who's had a first child knows it's actually quite challenging. Maybe I thought it's time to start a business. <laughs> yeah, you, you're so naive. You think like, well, once you sleep, I'm going to be able to work. And, you know, I'm going to have so much energy. And you don't actually know as a woman as well how it sort of affects your sort of, I guess, your confidence as well. And how you're feeling in your body and all of these things just play. But then also when she was eight months old, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So that was one and a half year of sort of quite like harsh treatments, you know, with chemotherapy or radiotherapy surgery and some hormone treatments afterwards. So it was just so, it was just so overwhelming. And like, I felt physically very ill for, for that period of time, but also like actually coming through it, it took me years to just sort of get back my confidence, get back sort of my mojo and all this time, I was like, because when I was, I had my first fundraise just when I sort of like, you know, um, was sort of mid chemo and I don't understand how I did it. Like, you know, I was sitting there like in this meeting and it's like my, my gums were bleeding, even because of this chemotherapy. And I was just like, but after that, I just had to like, I said to my husband, like, I, see, I said, I cannot take like more sort of drama in my life. And then I just said like, okay, I'm just going to have to find a level where the business sort of pays for itself. You know, like where I can just cut costs and I still have the revenues that come in from my existing customers and just try and like make it survive like that. But that's what I did. So like having gone from like, okay, let's just grow, let's fundraise, let's do this. Like, you know, I just had to like put the brake on. Wow. That's an incredible journey you've been on. Thank you so much for sharing that. How do you think going through such a traumatic experience has impacted your decision around the business itself? 
And, and looking back now, are you able to see positives that came out of the slowing down of the business that you had to go through? Hey, now we're in such a good place. Again, if we know we're looking to raise some funds now, and we have made, I made mistakes, but I made them on a very small scale. So I haven't like wasted people's money. And mm-hmm. also throughout this time, I've, I've worked on myself, I've worked on the business, I've done business courses and like sort of, I think we've found our true voice throughout this time. So now like when we're, if we then, you know, are successful or when we are successful in raising these funds, you know, it's so much easier than to just like, you know, to actually use the, the funds in the, in the right way. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, you've started, it's very much been an organic business, but you have now got enough experience that you know the questions that are going to get thrown at you. You know the the way the landscape is. You've been through that firsthand once already. And so now going out and you, you say you're, you're raising money to find investors, you can really talk with confidence around what hurdles might be for any investor or potential investor. Tell us a little bit about your approach to business, both holistically, but also in terms of how you approach Depad. So I think like I am a big fan of Seth Godin and I've done a few of his sort of courses and I read his books and I also did like this entrepreneur called Marie Forleo that I follow Mm. when I did her courses. And I think they all say don't try to be something for everybody. Just make something that's really, really great for this one sort of person that you have in mind. Seth Godin, like he wrote this very famous book, which is called The Purple Cow, which sort of became like iconic. And that's just what he says, because he says, if you try to be something for everybody, you become nobody or you become bland. And then also you become, then also you need enormous amounts of money because nobody's going to sort of notice you. But like find the smallest viable market as it says and then you work from there and that's how you then make your mark and of course it doesn't mean you have to stay there you can always expand then but that's like you sort of your dna is in there and that's how you go from there so i think that's also what i've learned with that but rather in the beginning i think we try to be maybe something for everybody and it didn't work and now it's just what can i leverage what i can leverage my skin sort of heritage i can leverage my sort of sense of style and being swedish and i think that's what we have to put into the dna of that but rather than trying to be yeah. Yeah. You could really feel a personality with Dapad. And I think that's really, you know, very much coming across in the brand, but also, you know, the personality of the business and the way that you approach it from a personal perspective as well. I guess one of the big parts of your life, which you kind of touched on, but not quite, is that you're a vegan. And I mean, is this affecting your, you know, approach to business and obviously a fashion business? We've, we talked about sustainability, but, you know, veganism is obviously quite an extreme end of the scale in terms of, you know, no meat, no dairy. Talk us through how that affects the fashion world because the fashion world's not there yet in terms of no. <laughs> being <laughs> vegan. <laughs> it's not for sure. But again, it is changing and I think it's changing also quite fast. Yeah, so the cancer sort of propelled me to being vegan. And whilst I was vegan primarily for health reasons to start with, it evolved to become sort of a thing that is bigger than me and ultimately like you know the way we treat non-human animals, you know, is is something that that's just very cruel, very wrong that we're doing as humans. And and again, the, the, the part of animal agriculture in climate change is like the number one thing a human, one person can do in his or her life is to, to change a plant-based diet to alleviate his or her like carbon footprint or, or you know, that damage to, to the planet. So 
so that's sort of, yeah, and that, that is obviously part of that. But now I can't sort of with good conscience sell leather shoes anymore, or, or I can sell leather shoes, leather that's made from plants. But, you know, before I didn't use to blink when it says calf leather, and then I sort of think, this is actually a calf, it's a baby cow. I'm like, no, this is not on anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm, I'm looking for alternatives. And it's quite, again, it's interesting to see, whilst the fashion industry doesn't maybe primarily approach it from an ethical point of view, the sustainability aspect of it is, of course, very strong. And now when I go to, f- to fashion showrooms and the lights, there are so many now shoe brands and other things that are using just plant leather, but from a sustainability point of view. I mean, people talk a lot about polyester and these things, but actually, like, when you look at the data, it is animal products that's the worst for the environment. So, so le- leather, for example. Does that mean that you've cut leather and all animal products entirely from your collection? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it is a vegan brand. That it's you- not vegan because we're using wool. You, wool. We're still using wool. Okay. Right. Yeah, so no, but no other products. And I mean, again, I think it's like if you see like, for example, fur, I mean, there's like, if you, if you sell fur, like you're like a dinosaur, like there's all, all brands, like big, also big fashion houses, they not cut. Like our fur sells for this year in London hasn't sold fur in like I don't know how many how many years. And again, it's all about this sort of more planet-friendly alternatives. And like it's also interesting, one of my Danish brands was not a vegan brand, but I had a I viewed a collection for autumn winter and they're just using again, they're just using recycled wool, you know, which is amazing. You're just taking the wool that's being that's already there and then just making amazing new new jumpers. So wool is a vegan off the vegan list, is it? Why is that? Because if you're, if you're a vegan, you, you, you don't use wool. You can't wear wool. No, you can't wear wool because, again, it's like it's, well, it, it comes from an animal. But, okay. but it, it's quite hard. It's, that, that is a tricky one in the yeah. fashion world. Stella McCarthy, who is obviously very ethical, and you know, she uses her own wool, which is quite extraordinary. So she makes sure that the sheep are well treated. So that's part of her, like she actually owns the farm, was it normally like a fashion brand, obviously sourced the wool from, from a farm. Ah. Like, so there are ways, there are ways like around it and uh, yeah. And that was Stella McCartney, was it? She's been in this space for probably the beginning yes. 10 years now, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. She's yeah, even, even further, I think, yeah. Like 2001 yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah. So with this new part of your life being that you are, you know, and a vegan and have you infiltrated your family with this? This Yeah, they're all vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's vegan. And how long have you been vegan for and, and what does it mean to look like for you? I've been vegan now, is it four years, five years, something like that, yeah. And it's just, it's just part of our life. It's not something sort of we, you know, of course we, we think about it every day. I mean, I'm sort of a vegan activist. So, but it's like, it's just so natural. Like for my daughter, it's natural for my husband. You know, we just eat healthy plants every day. And it's just, but it's, it, it's, it's sort of also, it's empowering because you know, sort of you're doing something good for the planet. And, and teaching your daughter to also appreciate the food that's going into her body so much so you've written a couple of children's books with her right yes, uh, yeah when we went vegan then after a while of course i tried to speak to my daughter about it and like we bought a few books but it was sort of like i was like oh i'm not sure you know like you know when you look at children they really love uh, a character like elsa from frozen <laughs> so you know why, why don't we create a vegan elsa so we created Lily, who's like this sort of protagonist in in the two books and 
we actually don't mention the word vegan. We just says Levy is a girl. She eats plants. She doesn't eat animals. You know, she loves the planet. She loves the animals. And we, we talk about how plants make her big and strong. And we try and just connect the children with the food on their plate because they think that, like, you know, you buy ham in a shop. You have the children has no concept that this was actually a living pig that yeah. had a mummy and daddy. Yeah. So that's like it's just like speaking truthfully to children about food choices. So maybe if they can make choices that are well informed, we can have a change earlier in in this world. I don't know about in London, but certainly in Australia, vegan options for adults is pretty limited and I don't even know if it's actually available in a in a child format. But talk us through how that works in terms of, you know, Vivi goes to school, so you know, she's around a lot of kids and and how does how does it kind of integrate into her world as a young like she she's just used to it because she's always been that like yeah, or she was 18 months when she was sort of like when we all went vegan so she she just knows that like you know oh yeah my friends eat animals but I don't but she's sort of starting to find her own voice and is a bit of an activist we watched the Greta movie I am Greta you know Greta Thunberg and she's like oh yeah okay I'm gonna start saying you know because sometimes <laughs> Bit like it's a bit, and I said, like, of course, you should never comment or, or like be derogatory, but you can always, but that doesn't stop you from sort of standing up for what you believe in. Like, and so I think she's sort of coming to, to terms with that. And luckily, she has her best friend who's vegan too. They're like the only vegans in the school, and they're in a group, so yeah. I think it was they found each other. <laughs> so, you're a wife, you're a mom, and you're a business woman, an entrepreneur. How do you kind of manage all of this? life together in lockdown yeah. <laughs> I guess it's whatever the question everybody asks themselves every day right I don't know I mean especially lockdown and homeschooling it's it's not easy that's for sure. homeschooling on top of that as well yeah nice yeah. <laughs> but I don't know like you somehow you somehow make it work and you think you need to set boundaries you set priorities I know that like my my daughter is super important to me and of course my family as well so was, you know, of course, growing the businesses too, and but my health is also important, and exercising, and friends, and in a way, like, you just, I think beforehand, before cancer, I, my main focus always was just work, and producing, and achieving, I was quite highly strong, and whilst I still want to, you know, sort of make a difference, and, and work, I also know that I need rest, to sort of to to be at my best. I also know that I don't want to miss out on my, my, my daughter's, you know, life and when she's growing up and, you know, just have a healthy relationship, healthy body, healthy mind. You know, I just try and be very holistic, you know. Yeah. And I mean, do you find that things kind of you a little bit more kind of, I guess, go with the flow about how things work out now? Do you feel like you've changed before and after both the cancer and, and, and having a business of your own where you just have, you're not, maybe not as in control as you were before. No, and I think you're super spot on there. And I think that's, again, like we, we think we are in control, but then things happen in your life and also having a child, I think you just realize you have no control <laughs> of them. So I think, yeah, at the moment, I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you know, you know, the power of now and the new world. And, you know, the only thing I try to be is just in the present. And as he says, like if, if you want a good future, then do the best of the of now, you know. Yeah. And what we used to obsess about how things were going to pan out, and of course, I'm not immune. Like sometimes I just go like, especially now with the new site. I mean, you know, like oh, is it going to work? How is it going to be? Like in the end, I'm like okay, well, I can do what I can now, and then you know, the outcome will, you know, you sort of will be what will be. 
Yeah, I've I've definitely found that things generally happen in the way that they're meant to, regardless of whether you're, you know, you're trying to drive it in one direction or not. The outcome is kind of already. You do some some yoga, right? You know, in the Bhagavad Gita, you always says like, you know, don't attach the fruit to your work. Yeah. Because you care about the fruit that your work is doing. And that's how I sort of keep thinking, like, I just do whatever I can the best now. And then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's all you can do, isn't it? You've really just got to try your hardest and and that's all you're capable of. So has, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that you're in London and and, and still in lockdown, which is, you know, it's been a long year. It's almost exactly a year, right? Or maybe a little bit more for you guys. How has that been in terms of just productivity and being able to kind of, you know, keep the business, you know, energy going or actually has it helped? How, how have you responded to, you know, the change of environment? The first lockdown was not good at all in terms of productivity and all. And then it was also because homeschooling was new. So the, the schools weren't really set up. It demanded a lot of time from the parents. What I managed, I managed like, and because my husband is also working full time and he's like a bit, you know, hard to take time off work. So I had one day when I could sort of really go into work, focus, get boxes out. And then like I had to sort of find hours here and there. This lockdown, we're much more organized because you're allowed to mix households. So I have help as well coming, you know, with homeschooling. The teachers are very well set up. So they sort of like, they almost lead the whole day so that you can actually have, you know, I can sit in the room, but I can still sort of get work done. So I think we're seeing the end of it. And we had, of course, Boris Johnson announced the, the plan out and homeschooling is ending now 8th of March. So I think, you know, sort of like things, again, things are happening. Yes, they're, they're meant to be. Our new site is going to be up by then. Lockdown is easing, you know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, lockdown is not good for productivity. <laughs> and I mean, having an online business, how does that work in terms of being able to dispatch and get product out to customers? Has it, has it affected it? We, we do it ourselves still. So luckily, the sort of our, our office and small warehouse is close to where we live. So we can just walk there and do that. And we're sort of alone there. So that's okay. And we've done this throughout lockdown. So we've never stopped. And we've always been able to send clothes and send to new customers and to our subscription people. That's happening still. Hmm. I mean, in fact, subscription is probably one of those businesses that is finding a more meaning in a situation where people can't go to the shops. Have you found yeah. the business has actually kind of seen a, a lift? Not, not so much in the clothing sector. I was talking to a person about this, and of course, subscription when it comes to food or maybe flowers, all of these sort of things, they, of course, in a huge uptake. The clothes is sort of like if it's been flat or declined just because people are really not going out. I mean, people sit in their sweatpants every day at home. So, Have you changed but that? But it's been declined for us. And I think now, again, I think we're in a good position now with lockdown easing and our proposition and everything. So, I, 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 you know, I'm hopeful now for the future. Yeah. And I guess, you know, in line with your business model is that it's all about quality and long-lasting product and the the fact that you can be kind of working on your proposition over the course of the time now you're able to kind of come back with a a really strong offer for your audience so with that in mind what are the plans for dapad in 2021 yeah so again we had this uh, new look new site coming up new functionality i'm actually super excited i think we have managed to sort of capture this sort of tongue-in-cheek humor and effortless style really showing off the clothes in a better way 
much more inspiration on the side, much more sort of actually telling who we are. It's personal, it's human. So that's that. That should be up hopefully in the coming week, I hope. Again, we're trying to do a fundraise as well to just sort of be able to spread our message in a faster way. Yeah, so that's 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 it, I think. Plans, getting an investor to invest in the business. Tell us a little bit how that works. Is that someone that comes in and kind of has a background in, in an area that you're interested in or is it a, it's just funding? It's funding is angel investors who, you know, think it's a good business opportunity, but they wouldn't, it wouldn't be sort of part of running the daily business or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, you've done that in the past because you had a, an angel investor at the beginning. And so now this is a second round of investment yeah. for the business. So you're kind of an experienced um, <laughs> <laughs> investment picture. How do you kind of, you know, again, you've come with, you've come from the banking sector, but you've come with business economics background is this kind of a comfortable place for you in terms of going out and you know selling and pitching your business to investors or is it I I think very few people enjoy it like I even look I follow Sophia Amoroso who started you know Nasty Gal and like you know wrote Girl Boss and even she you think she's like you know, like rock hard, and she's like, I hate fundraising. <laughs> it's not, I, I, I would be surprised if anybody likes it, but you know, <laughs> it has to be done. Yeah. And one of the things, and you've talked actually, I think about three books already, or maybe it's two books that you like, but we like to ask our guests about a favorite book that they like to recommend. So we will bank the two that you've given us. And I think you need yeah. to give us the third one. What's a favorite book that you love and recommend? I, I read in actually in first lockdown and I still keep talking to people about it. A Little Life. I don't know a if you've heard life. A Little yeah. Life. It's become very famous. I mean, I sort of was in, I felt like I was bereaved after like a week after I cried for like 30 minutes and I finished it. <laughs> it truly is like one of the best books I have read. And like when you when I started Googling it, I was like, became a bit obsessed. And <laughs> it is a list of the world's best ever sort of written books. And it's like, it's a, it was the debut debut novel for the for the author as well and um, it's just amazing how she in 18 months managed to put together this masterpiece but a little what's life the story really. what's the story it follows um four men four friends who all live sort of in new york and um, from sort of college uh, times up until they are like in their 50s and 60s and sort of jump times and just how, how their lives develop and what different routes they are taking and you're following a person called jude which has sort of like quite a traumatic, I guess, upbringing, and which sort of is, you know, you find out more and more as the, as the book goes on, but it's beautiful. But. Okay. Well, we're going to read that for sure. And I guess another question we like to ask as well is if you had a megaphone and you could stand up and talk to the world, what would be your message right now? Or, you know, what's, what's on your mind? Yeah, well, I would, I would say that, if you could like try and transition as much as possible to a plant-based lifestyle, I think we what's been missing in this COVID world is actually the reason to why COVID exists, and it's a zoonotic disease. And three out of four zoonotic diseases, like I think even more, they say like I mean the Spanish flu, swine flu, you know, mad cow's disease, AIDS, all comes from the humans' interaction with animals. So by switching to a plant-based diet, as I say, you're not only solving or preventing a new pandemic to happen, 
you're also maybe preventing antibiotic resistance, which is one of the other world's biggest threats. You're helping with climate change. You're helping your own health, and you're of course alleviating the suffering of billions of, of, of animals. So I think it's just this, this one step of just eating plants instead of animals is such a profound shift in what we could do to to help this planet in so many ways. So yeah, that's what I do too. And do yeah, as I said, like Greta Thunberg says, I'm not telling people what to do, and it, it's true. But I, like you know, just do the research, as I say, like you know, investigate the, the, because then you find out yourself. Watch documentaries, read books. You'll be amazed. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Erica. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a call for change where we're interviewing people who are making a big difference to the world that we live in. That was Erica Nielsen Humphrey from dapad.com, D-A-P-P-A-D.com. She has been talking to us about her fashion business out of London. Next week, we are interviewing Sydney resident, formerly from the UK, Kath Mahoney. She has a podcast of her own. She's a podcaster. She's usually interviewing other people. This week, we will interview her. So stay tuned for episode two of A Moment with Modern Mentors, A Call for Change. See you next week. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Modern Mentors coming your way soon.